Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this Christmas, we've been looking at this idea of God speaking and when God speaks and how we've seen it throughout the Christmas story through to Mary, it was through an angel. To Joseph, it was through his dreams. Um, through the shepherds, it was this big angel choir. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the Magi, the wise men. And uh, there was a kind of a joke that went around a number of years ago that if the wise men had actually been wise women, they would have asked for directions sooner. They would have helped deliver the baby, make a casserole, clean up afterwards, and they would have brought more practical gifts. However, they were men. So today we're going to be talking about how God speaks. And, and I think the wise men, the, the magi, is a, is a perfect example for anybody who is on a faith journey. Because in some ways we are all sojourners. We are all travelers through this life. We are all travelers through this journey of faith that we're on together. And some of us are further along in that journey. And some of us are just at the beginning stages of that. And some of us here today are still kind of thinking about and not even sure about entering that journey. But wherever you're at today, God's speaking. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. And there's always this next step for us to take on that journey. And that's what his speaking to us is all about. And whether it's through scripture, whether it's through an inner prompting, whether it's through a a sermon or a message, whether it's through your circumstances, God is speaking into your life. And I think... The wise men's story gives us a a, a real good picture on how to respond to God when he speaks into your life. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Again, a very familiar passage of scripture to many of us. Matthew 2 verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose in the east, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. These magi... I think really are a perfect example and provide a pattern for us for anyone who is either seeking after God or or someone who is on that journey and along the way. 
there are some things here that we can all learn from their story. And so what I'm going to talk about today is when God speaks, how we respond to that and what he's calling from us. And I want to start with this idea that when God speaks, he is calling us to follow him. We don't know a lot about the Magi. We really don't. Um, we know they brought three different types of gifts, but we really don't know. People have assumed it was three guys just because there was three different types of gifts, but it could have been three. It could have been 30. We really don't know. We don't know much about them at all. We don't know where they came from. We just know they came from the east. More than likely, they've surmised he was probably from modern-day Iraq, Babylon, because um, it seems like they knew a little bit of Scripture, and if you remember Back in Daniel, the prophet Daniel, when, when the nation of Israel had been conquered by the Babylonians, they carted off some of the, um, the top echelon people and brought them in exile to Babylon. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they were part of that entourage. And, and it was these wise men, these were the guys when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream that he couldn't interpret, that he called on these kinds of guys. They were, um, they were spiritual, they were um, intellectual, they were political, they, they actually held quite high office. And, and so we think more than likely that's who these guys were. Like I said, we don't know much about them. What we do know is that they saw a sign and they moved to action. That God spoke to them in some way, and they followed. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who has been called king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. They saw, they responded. God spoke, and they moved. And I think that's one of the first patterns for us, that when God speaks, he's calling us to follow him. What intrigues me about the the, the Magi's story is that God spoke to them in a language that they would understand. They were stargazers. And so he spoke to them through a star. And here's the thing about that. That God is speaking to you. He will speak to you however way he can. He is constantly trying to reach out to you trying to speak to you. And he will use whatever means it takes to get through to you. I have found in my own life and meeting people who have come to faith in Christ that, that after they make that decision and start moving in that direction to follow Jesus, they look back on their life and they realize, you know, God had been speaking and working in my life all along. That he brought this person into my life and that person into my life. And he brought me through this set of circumstances and he brought me to this situation. And all of those things are what got me to the point where I made that decision to follow him. So for us, wherever you're at in your journey, it's just stopping long enough to listen. God, what are you saying to me? What's my next step? Because when he calls, he calls us to follow. The other thing about it is, Though they only had very limited understanding, they chose to follow anyway. They never really knew what this was going to be all about. They just saw a sign and they followed. And by the way, if you look through Jesus' ministry, that's what he did. He simply called people to follow him. And in fact, most of those who followed him for three years didn't really know what he was all about. Even times when he tried to explain it to them or tell them what was going to happen, they didn't want to hear it. 
And the point is this. You don't have to have all your questions answered to start following. Wherever you're at right now, today, you can follow. With your questions, with your doubts, with your hesitations, you can still choose to follow. They're looking for a king. So the most logical place to go is to the capital, to the palace, because that's where kings hang out. You know, if a king's been born, the king's going to be born in the palace. And so that's where they go, and yet they get there, and it's the wrong place. And so Herod goes, and he gets his chief priests and the elders and the the teachers of the law, and he asks them, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And it says this, that when they called together the the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, and they said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophets has written. What strikes me about this is the guys who knew the answer didn't bother to follow. <laughs> the people who had all of those questions, who didn't understand any of it, they had very, very limited understanding, chose to follow. Yet the ones who had all the answers, who knew all the scriptures, didn't take the time. And it wasn't a long journey. Which says to me, you can know an awful lot about God. You can know an awful lot about the Bible and still not be following. Because following is acting on his word. Following is obeying what he teaches and what he says. It just it, it blows my mind that the guys who knew the answer who supposedly were looking for this Messiah, didn't take the time to bother to make that little trip over to Bethlehem just to check it out. And God calls us, calls us to follow. And when we follow, here's the thing. He's going to threaten your personal sovereignty. Okay? When God calls you to follow... He calls you also to surrender. We don't know much about, um, about the Magi. We, we do know about Herod. The story shifts its focus at this point, And it gets to the point at the palace where, where the, they come to the Magi. And it says, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They are looking for a king. The thing is, Israel already had a king. His name was Herod. And Herod ruled ruthlessly. Herod was politically savvy. Herod knew all the ins and outs. Herod knew how to lead, how to take control, how to be in power. We know a lot about Herod. He went by the title Herod the Great, which tells you a little bit about him right there. He was given the title by the Roman Senate, King of the Jews. So when they come looking for the King of the Jews, he said, you're looking at him. Wait, you mean there's another king? Not too sure about that. Here's what we know about Herod. Herod was ruthless in attaining power and keeping power. He actually, when when Mark Antony and Caesar Augustus um, were fighting, he was on Mark Antony's side. But when Antony was defeated, he went before Augustus And he pleaded his case. He said, you know how loyal I was to to Mark Antony? You know how I supported him? I can do the same thing for you. And Augustus made him king. (laughs) He just had a way of convincing people. And if there was any threat to his throne, he did away with them. 
He killed one of his wives. He killed his mother-in-law and three of his sons. In fact, he ruled so ruthlessly. Caesar, actually, there's a quote. Caesar said, it would be better to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. (laughs) Because Jews don't eat pigs. (laughs) That was Herod. We know an awful lot about him. And so when this new king comes to town, he's threatened. And so when Matthew records these things, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Yeah. (laughs) And it goes on, he says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Because they knew this king. And they knew how he treated people who came to take his throne. Everybody was a little on edge. Because this new king was going to do away with Herod, or at least that's what Herod thought. See, Herod's grip on power and control really points to you and me. Because we tend to not want to give up control. We want to stay in power of our own lives. We want to retain control of our own lives. Tim Keller, in his book, The Hidden Christmas, writes this brilliant, brilliant, He says, according to the Bible, the evil of the world ultimately stems from the self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-absorption of every human heart. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and our desires. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. In every heart, then, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and its sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. The full Bible teaching is that the source of the world's evil is every human heart. King Herod's reaction to Christ is, in a sense, a picture of us all. If you want to be king, and someone else comes along saying he is the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. When Jesus the king comes and he calls you to follow, he's going to threaten your personal sovereignty. He's going to call for surrender. He's going to call for areas of your life where you're going to have to give up control. He's going to call you to a new way of life, and that's going to be threatening to you. So be ready for it. Each new step of faith is going to somehow challenge your authority in your life. And so what it really comes down to is, do I really believe that God wants the best for me, that God has my best interest in mind, that the things that he tells me to do are really the best ways to live? Because he calls us to obedience. If Jesus is going to be king, then I have to step down. And by the way, That's one of the big reasons for baptism. You know, I talk to people, they have put their faith in Christ, and I say, well, you know, you really ought to get baptized. Well, I don't need to do that. I'm saved by faith. Yes, you are. You're saved by faith. You're saved by grace. But you really need to be baptized because that's an act of obedience. Well, I I don't think I need to do that. No, you really do. You really do. Because it's an act of surrender. See, you can't baptize yourself. Somebody else has to baptize you. It's, it's a surrender position. That's why it's so important. And if we hold out that one little corner of our life and say, 
What's the big deal about baptism? Why do I need to get wet? Because God is calling you to give up. And baptism is an act of surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. Tim Keller points out two really good questions to discover who is king in your life. First one is this. Am I willing to do whatever he calls me to do, whether I like it or not? Second one, am I willing to trust whatever he sends into my life, whether I understand it or not? See, those are questions about surrender. They're questions about trust, questions about faith. When the king comes into your life, he calls you to follow, but you're going to have to give some things up so that you can take hold of the life that he has for you. Calls us to follow, threatens our sovereignty, but here's the thing, he deserves our very best. I wonder... I wonder what the Magi thought as they approach approach Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem was far, far different than Jerusalem. This little manger scene was far, far different than Herod's palace. We actually have some pictures, some, um, some scale models have been done. This is what Herod's palace looked like. Okay? The inner courtyard looks something like this. That's what the wise men came into. That's what the Magi followed. These are the doors that they walked into. This is, Jerusalem. This is Bethlehem. Not all that impressive. And a typical house at the time in Bethlehem would look a little bit like this. Not a palace. It's a one-room Two-level, small, stone and mud house. The inside probably looked a little bit like this. In fact, this lower area down here, more than likely, more than likely, that's where you would bring the animals in, those animals that were closest to you, the ones that you didn't want to get injured through the night. And so when the baby is laid in a manger and it says there was no room for him, more than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, there was no room for him up here in the family area. It was born down here with the animals. I wonder what they thought. They had come to Jerusalem, the capital city, sprawling metropolis of its day. They came to this palace that was huge. Herod was known for his building projects. It was huge, huge, huge. And they leave there, and they go to this little podunk town, backwater Bethlehem. Population less than 1,000 probably. 200 maybe houses, little tiny houses crammed together. This is the place for a king? And yet, and yet, they get there, and it says that on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, now think about that. 
where you just came from and where you ended up. What kind of questions would be in your mind about this little baby? This is the king? Really? But their response was, they held nothing back. They bowed down and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Worship is to ascribe worth. That's literally what the word means. Worth-ship. I'm saying you are worth it. Whatever I have done, however far I have traveled, whatever gifts I have brought, you are worth it. See, he demands and wants our very best. And he's worth our very best. And whatever it is that he calls us to surrender, it is only because he knows best and he wants best and he has something better in mind for us. Though we may not understand it and we may not see it for a long time. That's what it means to follow. It's about surrender. They held nothing back. They opened up their gifts. They, you know, I've I, I got I to believe when they get there and they've got this gold and this frankincense and this myrrh and they're thinking, what's this little baby going to do with this stuff? That's not this. We, we, we brought the wrong presents. <laughs> oh, should have got the skateboard. <laughs> but it says they didn't hold it back. They offered him the treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those seem like very impractical presents, but here's some things. They're almost prophetic. Gold is the gift you bring for a king. Frankincense is a gift you would bring for a priest. Myrrh, myrrh is a spice that was used as an analgesic. To soothe pain, an antiseptic, to clean wounds. And it was also the spice that was used in burial. And so this little baby comes as king, as priest, as the sacrifice and answer to our sin. It's prophetic. That these guys had no idea the part that they were playing in the course of human history. We don't know their names. We don't know where they came from. We don't know how many of them there were. But they were prophetic in what they were bringing to say, this is the king. This is the priest who will offer himself as the final sacrifice for our sin. So that we could follow him. So that we could surrender whatever it is we need to surrender. Knowing that he gave his all for us. And knowing, knowing that whatever it is, it's worth it, worth it all. So, surrender your life. Put it in his hands. Never underestimate what God can do in you and through you if you just choose to follow and surrender and find that he's worth it. You bow your heads with me. Throughout his ministry, Jesus called people to follow, and they did. Even at his birth, it began. And every one of them who gave up whatever they gave up found something better. Peter, James, and John left their fishing nets, left their livelihood, and they found life. Matthew, a very profitable tax collector, leaves his tax collecting booth to follow Jesus, and he finds life. 
And that call is the same to you and I today. That wherever you're at in your journey of faith, there is a next step. And it's going to be a step of following and surrendering and finding that it really is worth it. But you don't discover it's worth it until you do the first two. So, let me ask you this morning. What's that next step for you? What is, what's going to cost you? What, what is it calling you to surrender? What is, what, what is the thing that you are holding on to control of, but you know you're really not in control? And it's time to let go. Whatever it is, can I encourage you? Surrender. And I know that's not easy. And it's one of the reasons that every time we, we come together, we want to give people a chance to, to let that decision be made known so that we can pray with you and pray for you. And if you're at a point of surrender and you've been fighting it or, or there's something that's totally, totally beyond your control and you know you just got to give it up to him, and I could pray for you today, would you just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, catch my eye, I want to let you know, praying with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe today, maybe today it's a first step of faith. You walked in here as a seeker, as one of those wise men. You're looking for God. And I want you to know he is here for you. He came to be with us. He gave his life to forgive us. And you can put your faith and your trust in him. Very same thing. You surrender your rights. You surrender your sin. You choose to follow him. He will show you it is worth it. Maybe you've never done that before, but today it's a first step of faith for you. Same thing I'm going to ask you. Just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, look up, catch my eye. I want to acknowledge you and pray with you as we close. All right. Yeah. 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 So let's pray together. Lord, here we are with our struggles on our journey, trying to figure it all out, trying to make it work on our own, and we cannot, we cannot. And today, for many of us, by raising our hand, we're saying, I'm tired, I'm giving up. Lord, I want to put my life in your hands. And whether it's a first-time decision or, or about a particular area and someone who is farther along down that road, Lord, We all need that same thing. We need to choose to follow you. We need to choose to surrender. And I pray, God, that you would show us that it's worth it. So I pray for each one who raised a hand. And I pray that as they come to you with surrender and they offer their life to you, that you would give them the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the restoration, the strength, the power, whatever it is that they need to take that next step. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You may-